Social season. Hey, I'm about to level up. Swerving on 995 Got my girl by my side I heard your new album, I hope you retire We got family ties It's a scary sight They say don't work with family But we gave all our friends jobs This game is soft I think I'ma start ghost riding Been a hell of back You can still smell the smoke on them Tell the same Marty You don't want no problems Anti-celebrity Trust me, I am a nobody Level up, I'm about to level up. Level up, I'm about to level up. Level up, I'm about to level up. Level up. Hey, I'm about to level up. Uh, week two, part two of Level Up, our series here. If this is your first time here, my name's Adam. I'm the pastor here at Mosaic, and we've been asking the question. Uh, how, do I, how do I take my faith to the next level? Uh, last week we did some like, prerequisites to, to that question. And then, uh, man, what we're going to talk about today might be the most important subject we talk about in this series. And, um, man, maybe even the year, I don't know. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is like, uh, it could be some of your, it is some of yours, uh, like your biggest barrier to spiritual growth. That's, that's what today's going to be like. If somebody handed me a magic wand and said you could fix one thing about your church or change one thing about your church, what I'm going to talk about today would be the thing I would use the wand on. Like this, this is how important this is, man. I, I told the worship team as we were kind of getting ready this morning, man, sometimes I have to work really hard to like hear what God is saying to me. And other times he just kind of says, here, talk about this. And he like pushes on me. And uh, that's how I feel about today. So what I want to do is I'm just going to ask a question and I'm take some time asking the question and then I'm going to answer it, okay? So it's a very simple morning this morning, but I just want to jump right into it. So if you pray with me and then we can jump into the question and then the, the answer. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for worship team leading us uh, in song to you. I just pray uh, that we would feel your presence like that song said and... Um, Everybody here, Lord, uh, that our hearts would just be open to hearing from you today, Lord, that um, we wouldn't be distracted, we wouldn't be closed off, that we would be uh, in some way anticipating uh, an interaction with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so uh, to get to the question, I have to read some, some verses, okay? So I'm just going to kind of go through a bunch of verses. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2 is the first one. Uh, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Uh, so you might recognize this verse because this is a verse that gets put on really bad Christian sweatshirts, right? Um, I don't know if you, I hope nobody's wearing one today because I'm going to make fun of it. It's, my luck is your first time here and you, you chose the Deer 42, Psalm 42 sweatshirt, right? It was like the, you're that of the Budweiser sweatshirt and you thought that would be safe and I'm going to make fun of it. I'm sorry. Um, but 
Uh, usually, you know, on the, the shirt, it's got the, the, the full buck, you know, and you stand next to this big stream, there's trees in the background. And then over here, like in big swoopy script is, as deer long for stream of water, you know, it's usually right there. Um, here's why I hate that sweatshirt. Um, what's described in this verse is an animal that is like desperate for water. An animal that is in a situation where uh, it, it needs water. It's like a life or death kind of a thing. It's not Bambi standing next to a stream going, I could have a drink, you know, maybe. I don't know. I kind of feel like it. That's not what this verse is describing. It's describing a, an animal that, that is, has like an angst and a desperation searching for a stream because it needs water. That's the feel that this has. And, and the feel is important because what the guy says then is he wants to compare this deer that desperately needs needs water to how he feels about God. The feel is important because he's, he's not saying that he feels like, you know, I could use a little more God in my life. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, hey, this deer, this animal that's, that's panting and longing for water, that's how I feel about God. And that's a really big deal. You can't, you can't get that wrong. Um, using a deer that's maybe dying of thirst and as, as an example about how he feels about God. He longs uh, for a deeper relationship with God. Okay, bounce about 20 chapters later to Psalm 63. Uh, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. So that first Psalm, we're not really sure who wrote that one, but the second Psalm, we know that this was King David. King David wrote this and he's expressing this deep desire for God in a way that's very similar to the writer of Psalm 42, right? Um, there's this thirst, this longing. He looks around in his life and he's like, man, it's like a desert out there. But then he looks to God and he's like, that, that is the source of life. And he even says, hey, if somebody would give me a choice between my life and, and God's love, I'd pick God's love. Like, kill me, I'll pick God's love because it's better than life itself. So again, look at the feel here. Look at the, the passion, the anxiety, almost the angst behind this desire for a closer relationship with God. Now jump over to the New Testament in the book of Philippians. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. So um, this is the Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament. And, and again, he's looking at his life. And when he compares everything in his life to, to God, to knowing God, he's saying in comparison, it's worthless. Everything in my life is worthless compared to knowing God more. And he says, actually, he says it's garbage. It's trash compared to God. And actually, if you look at the Greek word right here uh, that's in the original language, it's skubalon. Um, and uh, a better translation would be uh, the King James says dung. Uh, so we would say crap, or you might even take it one step further. You know what I mean? Like that's how strong of language Paul is using here to say, hey, this is how I feel about my life compared to how I feel about God. That's how strongly I want more of God in my life. Again, you catch like a passion. This isn't some robotic thing. He really is feeling this desire to have more God in his life. And I just want to point out, a little side note here, 
This guy, Paul, already had a lot of Jesus in his life. Like, Paul had spiritual experiences that none of us could even dream of. Uh, Paul healed people. Everywhere Paul went to preach, like, cities got turned upside down. Like, it was crazy. Like, the whole economy of the city would change because people were changing their allegiance to Jesus, and thousands of people were getting saved. Paul already had a ton of Jesus in his life, and he's saying, I want more. I want more. He's almost insatiable in this desire. The same feel of a deer that's dying of thirst, wanting, longing, thirsting for water, Paul has for God. Now, bump over to Romans uh, chapter eight. Paul wrote this too, but it's not about him. Uh, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So here, uh, you know, we've been looking at people, and here we have pointing out that the creation actually has a desperation for uh, its creator. All of creation has this longing for the day when God's going to set all things right, when the king returns. So Paul almost like it gives creation like this feel like it's watching, like it's waiting, like it's got this anticipation, and he says it's what, that the creation is watching us. It's watching us because creation on some level knows that there's going to become a day when the last person finally accepts Jesus as their savior. It's going to be the last person. And at that point, God's going to get up off his throne, crack open the sky and enter into this thing and fix everything. So creation watches as each person in history bends their knee down and says, I trust you. Jesus is my savior. I'll ask you for forgiveness. I want a relationship with you. And creation's like, is that the one? Is that the last one? And, and they kind of anticipate the end coming because creation has this deep, desperate longing for an unfiltered relationship with its creator. Groaning, longing, angst, thirst. So the question, the question. We just saw all these people, the writer of Psalm 42, whoever that was, David, Paul, even creation itself, having this this deep, like desperate hunger for God. It wasn't emotionless. It wasn't some robotic, yeah, 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 I want more God. No, 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 there's, there's, a, there's something happening on the inside here for more of God in their life. So here's my question. Why don't we, why don't we hunger for God? Why don't we long for God? Why don't we have a desperation for God? Why don't we thirst for God? Why don't we have any like, level of angst about our relationship with him? Why don't we have this? Why don't we have this? So, and that's the question. Let me anticipate some of your reaction to the question. My first anticipation is that maybe you're sitting here thinking, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're saying like hunger, thirst, angst, um, I didn't know I was supposed to have that, right? Like maybe that's your first reaction. Like we're supposed to have that? Like maybe you're sitting here thinking like that seems like an advanced, like super Christian level type stuff. You know, Paul, David, they're pretty high up there. Like that's, a, that's advanced Christianity type stuff. That's it. You're saying everyday normal Christians are supposed to have this kind of, of longing for more of God? Um, so listen, Christian, if you're a Christian, listen, listen. If we really believe what we say we believe, 
If we really do. If we really believe that, like, God's fingerprints are on our soul, right? And that he wrote our DNA, and into that DNA he left a space where he is supposed to fill it. If we really believe that, if we really believe that Jesus came and died on a cross, like for real, for our sins, to give us an unbroken relationship with God, if we really believe that the day we die, eternity begins, and we're going to spend eternity with our Creator, If we really believe all that stuff and it's really true, then yes, we are supposed to have this kind of a longing, this kind of a hunger, this kind of a thirst for more of that relationship right now. All of us. This isn't some super Christian level thing. This is supposed to be normal. That we have an angst, a longing, a hunger for more of God. So again, why don't we? Now, let me also anticipate another thought, because this is kind of a frustrating question, right? You can't control what you deeply desire, right? Let me come to your defense. Hold on a second, man. I don't control, like, my deep longings inside of here. I can't just turn that on, right? You can't, you can't go like, hey, oh, let me get, hold on a second. Let me, I'm going to try to get some longing here, you know? Like, you can't do that. You, there's no switch that makes that happen, This almost seems like an unfair question. I'm telling you, you should have something that you cannot just sit down and decide to have. So what's up? What's up? I'm playing this video game called Fallout 4 right now. Super Christian video game to play. Um, If you're familiar with it, it's... That's how I let my aggression out. Um, it's set, it's a, it's a video game, it's a shooter, you know, you got guns and stuff, and it's set in post-apocalyptic Boston. Like, bombs have dropped, all kinds of crazy stuff happened, there's bad guys with guns, weird monsters with guns, factions happening. It's probably very much like the real Boston, I imagine it to be like. Um, but it's, it's a cool game. So part of the, part of the, the built into the, the functions of the game is that you can pick stuff up. Uh, like the bad guys drop guns and armor and you can pick little things up that you can make stuff, like make better guns and stuff. And I know I'm to- if you're like, you are a nerd, whatever, I don't care. Yeah, I do. I'm into that. I- and here's the thing, in these kind of games where you can pick stuff up, I'm a hoarder. I just want to pick everything up because I have this crazy like thought that I might need that later. So I just pick everything up in these games. I'm, I'm constantly picking stuff up. And, and uh, uh, I kill a guy and I want to take everything he had. I kill a guy and I take everything he has. Like I just, I'm constantly picking stuff up. And if I keep doing that, What happens eventually is up in the little corner of the screen, you get the most annoying thing uh, come up in the corner of the screen. If you played the game, you know it. This is what it says. You're carrying too much and you can't run. And if you've never played the game before, you're like, so what? You can't run. Well, what they really mean is you're going to move like this until you do something because it's the slowest thing ever. It like totally shuts you down. The game is unplayable until you get rid of this notification. You're pretty much stuck, so you have a choice. You have to put something down before you pick something else up. You can't just keep picking things up. It doesn't work that way. You kind of get stuck. What if, what if your soul is like that? What if your soul has like a capacity for things that could satisfy it And when you jam it full of things up to the brim, something's off. You like get stuck spiritually. 
And, and here, let me just head something off of the past. Here's what some of you think I mean. Some of you think I mean you have too much going on in your schedules, you need to stop saying yes to things and make some time for God. That's not what I mean. Probably true, but that's not what I mean. That's not what I'm doing here. This isn't some make more time in your life for God thing. That's not what I mean. I'm actually talking about something a little bit deeper than that. What I'm saying is, what if all like the desires you have in your life, like the physical desires that you have in your life, actually have a spiritual component to them? What if all the cravings that you have that you think are completely physical actually have their roots way down deep in something spiritual? Like when you're hungry for food, there's a spiritual component to it. It's not just physical. It definitely has a part of it that's spiritual or that's physical. But, but when you stand there with the refrigerator door open, something else is going on. It's not just a stomach thing. And you know this because half the time you do it, you're not even hungry, right? There's something else going on here. And what if, what if when you want to have sex, it's more than just a physical thing. There's some kind of spiritual component to it. It's not just a physical desire that's happening. What if in all those in-between places in your life where you feel this compulsive need to pull out the screen and put it in your face, if you have a free five seconds, that's what happens. What if that desire to get on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, actually isn't just some physical thing? What if there's like a spiritual component to that desire? What if you get, when you get home from work and you just want to crack open a beer and check out? What if that desire is not just a physical, I'm tired thing? What if there's a soul level something going on in the spiritual part of you? What if when you say the line, I just need a cigarette, that's not just a physical thing. It certainly is a part of it physical. But what if there's something else happening? What if there's something in your soul happening? What if all those little things in your life that you look forward to actually have their roots way down deep in something spiritual? And here's the important part. If you satisfy every little desire you have in the physical, you never have room for the spiritual. What if satisfying every physical craving as soon as you possibly can dampens your spiritual hunger? A guy named John Piper wrote this. I read a whole book this week. My kids were like, you're going to read a whole book? I'm like, yeah, I had to because it was important and hard to understand. Um, here's what he said. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. You aren't hungry for God because you're full of other things. And most of it is inconsequential. It, it, it like doesn't even matter. And, and to be honest, it's not even sinful. So I don't even want to talk to you about your sin today. Your uh, like actual for sure sin. I'm not even going to talk to you about that. Most of the stuff you're filling your soul with is not sinful. Because you could go down the list with the stuff that you're filling your life with and you could bullet point, you could argue with me, right? Like, so what? I like Oreos, man. Big whoop, not a sin. You're right, it's not a sin. Down a row, man, down a package. I don't think that's a sin. You're right, fine. Go to town. So what? I like to buy stuff on Amazon. It's not a sin. You're right, it isn't, it isn't. So what? I check all social media every time I have a free second. Every time a little red dot appears, something happens inside of me and I get excited. So what? You're right. It's not sinful. So what? I have a beer or two after work every single day. So what? You're right. 
Not a sin. None of those things are sins by themselves. They're not. They're not at all. You are right. So let me read another line from this book. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. So he's saying, hey, the most dangerous things in your life when it comes to your soul and your spiritual appetite, it's not gonna be necessarily something that's overtly sinful. It's gonna be the good things. It's gonna be the good things. See, because this is the way Satan works, right? Satan doesn't care how he kills your appetite for God. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you're addicted to porn or pizza. He's cool. As long as you're addicted to something, as long as you're full uh, to the brim in your soul with anything but God, he's happy. He won't fight that battle. He doesn't care what it is. As long as you're not hungry for God, he's good. That's been his play from the beginning, by the way, is to get humans to try and find satisfaction in creation rather than creator. That's all he wants for you, to be forever full on the scraps of this world rather than feasting on the presence of God. That's all he wants. And again, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm not even saying you should stop doing these things. You know, you can't, you can't stop eating, right? You gotta eat, you gotta eat. I'm not saying stop eating. I'm not saying stop drinking. I'm not saying don't have sex. I'm not saying don't go to Target or Kohl's or get on Amazon. I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm not saying any of that. I wanna ask you a question. I wanna ask you a question. Are you keeping yourself perpetually, temporarily distracted and satisfied by food and sex and drink and entertainment, leaving no room for hunger or desire of God? That was a long question. Let me put it on the screen so you can read it. Are you keeping yourself perpetually, temporarily distracted and satisfied by food and drink and sex and entertainment and leaving no room for a hunger or desire for God? That's my question. Second question. That's a hard one, right? See, because when you say, I'm just not hungry for God, man, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I can't make myself hungry. You're right. You're right. I can't argue that. You can't make yourself hungry. However, I feel like saying that is very much like stuffing your face and then sitting down at the dinner table and complaining that you're not hungry. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, my kids do this all the time. They have 75 snacks, sit down, I'm not hungry. Really? Like, we're, we're surprised by this. And I think we do this spiritually. We do this spiritually. If you live your life constantly filling your soul with created things... You're not going to be hungry for God. And, and I would uh, like compare it to filling your soul with salt water. It's going to feel full, but it's still going to long for something else. But you'd rather just fill it with anything. So here's what I desperately, desperately don't want for you. Philippians 3.19 says this. Their end is their destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. I don't want you to be sucked into like the temporary fixes this world offers and miss out on God in your life. 
This is so important. This is how a good thing turns into a bad thing. Do you realize that? Like, again, this is Satan's favorite weapons are the good things in your life. Because none of this stuff is bad. Food is a gift from God. Drink is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. Entertainment is a gift from God. The ability to buy something that you want is a gift from God. They are good things. Uh, we should be thanking God for those things. But when those things that are good things become the thing that you go to to satisfy your soul, they transform into a bad thing. And where that line is, <laughs> it's not always clear, is it? It's not always clear. But this is Satan's play to get you to look to good things as God things and find your satisfaction in them. Romans one twenty five says this, they traded the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. The lie is that the gifts God gives are better than the, gift, the giver himself. The lie is that the gifts are better than the giver. The lie is that the gifts are going to somehow satisfy your soul, not the giver. That's the lie. That your soul is actually going to find satisfaction down here in all these little things rather than pointing it upward. And your soul is dying of thirst, full of salt water. So, level up. How can you take your faith to the next level? That's what we're talking about in this series, right? Um, today, I think for many of us, many of us in this room, the way for you to level up is not the addition of something to your life. Right? I think that's how we always think about leveling up. Like, what do I got to do? What do I got to add? Let me, let me put something else on the schedule. Let me, let me do something else. No, no, no. The way for some of you in this room to level up is the subtraction of some things from your life. It's to tell your body, to tell your cravings, no, in order to make room for some hunger for God. Just say no. To, to what your body wants in that moment to make some room for God. Because listen, if you choose to live your life from craving to craving, if you choose to fulfill every desire your body has as quickly as you can possibly fill it, you will never get to the next level spiritually. You will never experience the fullness of God in your life. And, and what's worse is you won't even want it. Like, that's the part that drives me nuts. That's the part that I was, like, up at night praying about this week because I'm sitting here thinking, like, I'm going to pre preach about something that you might not even give a rip about because you don't even know. You're full on other stuff. You're like, that doesn't even sound appealing to me. God's sitting in this giant banquet hall with a table full of his goodness saying, come on in. And you're, like, walking down the hallway going, I'm good, thanks. I'm full. And God's like, what are you doing? You're missing out. You're missing out because you're so full on stuff that just doesn't matter that much. If every time you're hungry, you go run to eat. If every time you're feeling lustful, you just pressure your wife or whatever, you screw that, you go solve the problem yourself. If every time you're bored, you go stick a screen in front of your face or you go shopping. If every time you're tired, you check out. If every little craving you have in your body, you say yes to, you're going to miss out on the presence of God in your life because there's no room for him. I desperately don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. It's easy, you know? 
It's easy to slip into this. It's easy to constantly pull that screen out of your pocket and put it in your face. It's easy to go from looking forward to eating that to looking forward to watching this, looking forward to that, and and just push God completely out. It's so easy. That is the curse of the American church. That is the thing that we have to fight. If you want more of God in your life, you're going to have to make room for him. You're going to have to make room for him. So here's what you should do. I want you to take some time and pray and ask God what good thing he has given you in your life that has become something that you now find satisfaction in. Ask God what good thing that you need to just take a break from and ask him, hey, how long should I stop this? It's called, uh, the spiritual word for it is fasting, right? Now, conventional fasting, you know, is just not eating for a set period of time, and and maybe that's what some of you need to do. Maybe you need to decide that, like, one day you're just not going to eat. Every time a hunger pang hits you, direct your thoughts up to God. Use your hunger as a, uh, the physical hunger, use the physical hunger as like a, a cue to turn your heart up to God and pray to God and allow yourself to be hungry. <laughs> allow yourself to be hungry. But I'm guessing most of you don't need that. Actually, uh, very few of you need that. Most of us, we need to decide to give something up for just a set period of time, maybe a week. You just need to say, you know what? I'm not going to get on social media. I'm not going to eat this kind of food. I'm not going to drink this. Uh, Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's wine. I don't know. I'm not going to shop. I'm not going to do this. You need to just decide the thing that I've been like filling my soul with, the thing that's giving me that strength to get through the week because I'm looking forward to it. I need to get rid of that because I don't want to rely on that because I actually want to rely on my relationship with my God. I'm going to say no to that so he can fill me up in some other way. Pick something in your life. Say no to it. Let your soul get a little hungry and let God be the one who fills it.